1: Welcome to episode 76 of the show where we help you obtain your career goal and give you an inside view of various aviation careers. I've received many questions regarding the career of skydive pilot, so we thought we'd uh, dedicate this episode to the job of skydive pilot. Joining me for this episode is Dennis Dowling, a pilot flying skydivers in Zephyr Hills, Florida. Uh, it seems to be an exciting job, and along with my listeners, and I've been very interested in this and discovering more about career opportunities and what it's like to be a skydive pilot. Welcome, Dennis. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Well, you know, Dennis, uh, you've had an incredibly varied background, and uh, we're going to talk about skydive pilots right now, but uh, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the uniqueness of being a skydive pilot you know, and, and what kind of skills you need, and then we'll back up into your history here. Okay. Okay. Uh, you do a lot of takeoffs and landings, obviously,
0: because that's uh, the big part of it. And other than normal flying, uh, the only real skill is when you run jump run, you, they want you to be able to run a good, stable jump run. And as people, like in a Cessna, climb out on the wing, you know, there's a lot of trim changes and a lot of yaw forces and stuff like that. So you need to be able to actually, you know, to, aware enough to fly a stable jump run, as all these changes aerodynamically occur, and as the guys leave the airplane, you know you're going to get a lot of trim changes, yaw you know, changes too. So just you know you've, you you know, to keep that as stable as possible throughout that.
1: Right now, if you uh, to to get to this point of being a skydive pilot, what what type of experience would you would you need? I mean, how would you get there? I mean, what what uh, type of flying should you do prior to that? Basically, all
0: you really need is your is a commercial rating. And you have a lot of jump clubs that are flying, you know, Cessnas and that, that type of aircraft who, uh, you know, they need pilots and they're willing to, you know, hire fairly young, experienced pilots, you know, if they have a need to fill. And uh, just, it's basically a matter of being in the right place at the right time.
1: So when, you have a bit of a unique background. I mean, even airline pilots can do this, right? Yes, have, even airline <laughs> pilots. <laughs> well, you know, the... Um, as far as your background, let's talk a little bit about that because you truly are a passionate aviator. We're sitting here at uh, Albert Whitted Airport, and uh, this is an awesome place to fly in and, and go eat. We just ate at the Hangar Restaurant upstairs, and uh, I, I, you know, recommend it of anybody. And mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that that I'd I'd like to know is, you know, how did, how did you get started in the flying? I mean, it, you've been doing this for a while. I, you know, as
0: a young kid, I always wanted to fly, and in college. We had a professor who wanted to start a flying club, and this was 1967, you know, in in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and he bought an in Chief, started a little college flying club. There were about five of us, and we were getting it for $6 an hour wet, which I know that seems amazing (laughs) in today's time and frame, and that was a good price even then. And so I got my private pilot's license in the Aronca Chief, a tail dragger, and, uh, Once I got that, as a poor college student, I couldn't afford to fly that much, but I could afford to jump a little bit. And someone had started a a jump club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, so I started jumping. And then they needed someone to fly the jump airplane. And at that time, you didn't need a commercial license, so I started flying jumpers for free jumps. And did that, graduated from college, actually entered the Air Force, went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, found another jump club. And this was a larger the actual jump center, Green County Sport Parachute Centers in Xenia, Ohio, and in the next 15 years, I flew 5,000 hours flying jumpers. 5,000, 5,000 hours? 5,000 hours, and they went through an era, at one time they had 15 Cessna 180s, spread over four Green County Sport Parachute Center jump clubs. In 1975, they bought a Beach 18, and I was kind of their, you didn't have a chief pilot, but I was kind of their senior pilot, and the owner had hurt his shoulder and he was going to, you know, bring me along slowly. And he said, Dennis, there's a lot of people here who want to jump this airplane. Go fly it. And if you wreck it, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so with no That's training, I was in a Beach 18. And that was that, that kind of era where a jump crowd was a little bit looser. Right. So you know, over the next uh, 10 years, I flew 2,000 hours in a Beach 18, 1,000 hours in a DC-3, and 500 hours in a Lockheed Lodestar. Got type ratings in those airplanes. Wow, that's, and that's uh, kind of being in the right place at the
1: right time at a jump club. Yeah, sure is. You know? now, that's a lot of hours. Uh, did you use those hours later on to get other jobs? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got moved by the
0: Air Force down to uh, Patrick Air Force Base in Florida in 1983 and started flying at, from Merritt Island Air Service you know, as an instructor, doing, teaching mostly aerobatics. And uh, when I retired from the Air Force, the day after I retired from the Air Force, I was in training at Comair Airlines. As a Bonderotti MB
1: first officer. <laughs> <laughs> the old Bonderotti, that's a, a great, great airplane. And uh, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's kind of it, it, it's uh, something only a mother could love. You know, it's, no, it's kind of exactly. interesting, interesting type of uh, airplane. I actually got to fly the one hundred and twenty when I started out, mm-hmm. and that's the Brasilia. That's the one right after it. But great aircraft. Uh, now you flew the the. Bonderante, and mm-hmm. then you were there for quite some time. How yeah. long did you spend there? 17 years before I retired from that. 17 years, and at that during that career you you had, uh, you know not to get away from the skydive stuff too much, but you you, you had a very varied career. You became a Czech airman, I think, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I did. And what type of airplanes did you uh, work as a Czech airman on?
0: Uh, the Brasilia, the NB 120 oh. and the uh, Canadair Bombardier C, uh,
1: CRJ. <laughs> <laughs> now, so the, the 120, if I remember, uh, it was like my first airliner job, and you felt like the Ginsu chef when you're when you're up there on the board. In other words, your hands kept flying, especially the first officer was working like crazy to flick switches and all. Mm-hmm. Things changed though when you went to the C R J. There was just button pushing and there wasn't much to actually change, you know, and reconfigure on. Yeah, so exactly. It's a much different different type of airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, um, Obviously, you're incredibly passionate about aviation. Is there some advice that, you know, there's a lot of people are listening here, uh, want to use the skydive to get to the airlines. Uh, any advice for those prop guys that are going over to the, uh, to the jet? I know there's some challenges. Uh, is there, have you ever seen, I guess this is the real question, have you ever seen any difference in the people have a lot of prop experience compared to certain jet experience when they come over uh, to the, to the uh, CRJ or to any other jet airline, or did most of your guys come from props?
0: At Comair, most of the guys came from props because, you know, in the early 2000s, Comair was the first airline in America to buy the CRJ. So everybody basically was coming out of props. You had a few guys who'd hired into Comair from, you know, business jets and a few guys who had been at Eastern Airlines when Eastern Airlines folded. They came to Comair and transitioned back land. A few military guys. We had a couple of guys who were F4 drivers in Vietnam mm-hmm. who... Uh, Came to I'm
1: glad you brought that up because something about uh, a lot of people ask, you know, why would you go to a regional if you've been flying a fighter? Uh, some of these guys hadn't been flying for a while and you would think they would just go right to a major. Uh, a lot of times they can't get hired with a major and they'll they'll go to like a regional first and then move on to the majors. Uh, but some guys just want to stay there and they love flying for the regionals. Uh, so I'm, I, I don't know what your experience has been with those folks, with the fighter pilots. Have they primarily used it as a stepping stone, or did they stay there at Comair? Most of them stayed at Comair. And a
0: lot of those guys, you know, they'd retired from the Air Force in their 40s, you know, late 40s, some, some cases. And, you know, if you go back in the 80s and early 90s, the airlines were really reluctant to hire guys at that age, mm-hmm. right. even, even with military experience. So a lot of those guys kind of had to go to uh, you know, one of the regional airlines like Comair. Air.
1: That's a great point you just made, because a lot of questions we get are, am I too old to fly? Uh, a lot of the people hear that it's like the old days, where you, if you're not 30, you can't get on, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's not true anymore. Not true I mean, anymore. Uh, at, your, at calm Air, you saw a lot of people get hired in their 40s and yeah. even mm-hmm. 50s, right? Like in my
0: case, I wear glasses. You know, my eyesight was just a little bit too bad to, you know, be able to go to military pilot training, which right. you know, is something I've always regretted, but that's the way, that's the way it goes. And so... When I retired from the Air Force in 1990, the airlines were still not hiring anybody who wore, you know, glasses, who has, whose vision was not 2020 20 uncorrected. So that was kind of, if I wanted to do an airline flying at that time, that's where I could get hired. Now in the oh late 90s, that all changed.
1: Yeah. Sure. As a matter of fact, that's uh, a lot of people ask me you know, why I waited so long, but when I uh, started coming out of flight school, there was just a couple airlines that would accept you with glasses on. Mm-hmm. The majority would. Or they went to like 2040, then 2060, then 2100, then all of a sudden... You just had to be correct. I think the last holdout was Delta. yeah. And they, mm-hmm. were the, they were the last ones saying you had to have uh, perfect vision. So that's all gone by the wayside. So I, I think it, the younger folks that are listening to this now or the people who haven't experienced this career need to realize that that's not true anymore. And when you hear some of the older folks tell you, mm-hmm. oh, if you're past 30, you can't get a job, that's not true. That's we not true. had a one of our guys who was
0: retired at age 60, when, when you still had the airline retirement age at mandatory age 60, uh, and this was about 2007. He interviewed with and hired on with JetBlue as a first officer at age 60. Wow. Worked at JetBlue for five years as a first officer. Had a, had a blast doing that. That's great. And then he retired from that two years ago at the age 65 rule. Wow. So like I say, that really points out that that has all
1: changed. Yes. It dramatically has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, it, and it's and now why would someone do that? Why would they go back at age 60 to work for an airline? I,
0: Partially, you know, you want to fly bigger airplanes. Yeah. You know, you know and with Comair, you were relegated, limited to the you know, the 90-seat CRJ. Mm-hmm. So bigger airplanes and to continue your flying career if you want to do
1: that. I, I think uh, a lot of guys I talk to and I ask them, you know, why you keep doing this? And they're like, because I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a fun job. And that's, there's something important about that. Uh, and I realize you do start over. Uh, When you start at the bottom, but but working for a major, and this is what I try to tell people: when you start off, it's very low pay. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, after the first uh, year or two years, Mm -hmm. your your pay doubles. Mm -hmm. So don't think, don't look at your first year pay. Just in general, in any of the airlines, even uh, let's look at Comair. Let's look at all the regionals. Uh, In the first five years, once you make captain, you're making pretty good money. I know Mm -hmm. guys making six figures at the regionals. Mm -hmm. So it can be done. Just don't. But you have to. Pay your dues, and this is exactly true in this area. Like
0: my this first year at Comair was, I think, eleven thousand dollars. Yeah, and my last year was a
1: little over a hundred k. Right, right, and that and that's important. Uh, you know, I I've been with the majors just a couple of years, and I think I I paid more in taxes uh, this year than I actually made in the first two years with mm-hmm. the regionals. Uh, so that it's, it's, it does, it gets there it's just you got to hang in there that's for sure oh exactly um, you know let's get back to some of your, your the skydiving experience because there's I, we get so many questions from people saying gosh I really want to do that I want to become a skydive pilot and I don't know if I want to make a career out of it but I think it's a great way to build time uh, what is somebody who's doing some hiring uh, say I, I'm assuming that you probably get involved in the hiring process at, at, at the place you work or mm. you have in the past yes what are you looking for in someone who's going to be a skydive pilot what type of person Someone who
0: uh, has basic flying skills, you know, you can think and can be a pretty good skydive pilot, you know, fly safely, fly the jumpers, can fly a a good jump run and be able to calculate a correct, you know, jump run and spot for the jumpers because one of the big things that's changed in the past 10 years is with the advent of GPS. Mm -hmm. Instead of the jumpers actually looking out the door or at the ground and spotting and giving corrections to the pilot, they usually rely on the pilot to set up a ground track over the drop zone using gps
1: and giving them a green light to go really that's mm-hmm. interesting so mm-hmm. that that's changed quite a mm-hmm. bit so now it's not, not as much looking out the, the exactly. as it yeah exactly like
0: at zephyr hills we have uh, the tampa class b airspace about two miles to our west we have an airway about three miles to our east and because the airplane is the airport itself is kind of the runways are stirring out north and south so if you're going to leave jumpers you want them on the airport rather than the surrounding woods. So we'll either run a straight north jump run or a straight south jump run. And if the wind's out of the west, we'll offset maybe half a mile to the west, maybe even if the strong winds are really strong, a mile to the west. So the pilot is calculating how much drift and free fall will the the jumpers get because of upper-level winds, and about where should he turn the green light on before they start getting out. And with the Twin Otter, we've got 22 people. So you might have a group of four get out first. They'll wait five seconds. A group of 10 get out. They'll wait five seconds. A tandem with two people will get out. So you may be stringing these people along over a mile ground track from from, from south to north. And you want to get them all on the airport. So, you know, it takes a little bit of calculation and skill using a GPS to make sure you start them out at the right point and that as the last ones go out, they're still where they can still land on the airport. How do you get the experience to
1: learn how to do that, though? I mean, how do you do that? Uh,
0: a lot of it's OJT, like in the Brasilia, or I mean, excuse me, the Twin Otter, you'll fly 25 hours mm-hmm. with, with uh, the guy who's the chief pilot or the instructor, and you'll watch him do that, you'll talk about it, the calculations, You'll start doing it yourself, and then he will say, no, you should have done this and this and so on. You know, So it's kind of an OJT training program. Interesting. And at the end of 25 hours, the 20 hour you meet insurance requirements, and you are on your own.
1: Wow. Wow. <laughs> but after 25 hours, you pretty much can get the hang of it, I yeah, guess. Yeah, can
0: get the hang of it. Yeah. Plus the jumpers, if they if you put them in the woods, they come back and they you come yell back at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's immediate feedback. Immediate <laughs> at feedback. least when you get on the ground you know it's what's interesting is that when you come down also i guess another thing is you want to be able to descend quickly mm-hmm. to get the next group on and uh, i guess there's a skill involved with that and mm-hmm. um, how well, fast you, do you come down by the way well you know it, it varies very different between a turbine airplane
0: and a piston engine airplane because mm-hmm. a piston engine airplane the last thing you want to do is bring the power to idle and come down you know even even moderately fast without power on the airplane because you're you have the airspeed where the prop is turning the engine instead of the engine turning the prop, and you have shock cooling and overcooling, and you can really damage an engine very quickly that way. So, you know, that Zephyr Hills, we want their people to use an airspeed of 140 knots and use about 15 inches of manifold pressure and bring the RPM back. That way, you keep the engine warm, you don't shock cool it, and, 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 and you know, it really helps the life of the engine. With the turbines, though, you know, turbine engine, you can just slam the throttles to idle, lower the nose to 140 knots, and we're coming down to 4,000 foot per minute. Wow. So, and we typically jump at 13,500 feet. So when the last boots are out the door and we bring it to idle, do a kind of a, you know, modified wing over, Mm lose 2,000 feet, pulling the nose through, pull the nose back up to 12 and a half degrees, and we're coming down to 4,000 foot per minute and are on the ground in about four minutes. So, how long does the jump take for them to get down? Do you- uh, typically free fall is about seventy seconds, and they're opening anywhere from three to four thousand feet. So, they take probably six minutes to be on the ground. So, we may have actually been on the ground, loaded the next load of jumpers, and be taxing out. When
1: the last jumper touches down. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, that and that brings up another point. You know, what's the job like? I mean, you, you, it sounds like you're you're constantly going and going. It's uh, it it can be. It can be a day where you do four loads, and as you
0: come into the packing area in turn, they bring the stairs out. And there's a group of people waiting for you. Twenty seconds, thirty seconds to load, and you're taxiing out again. You do it four times in a row. Then you pull into the the fuel pump area. Keep the engines running. They fuel you up. You once, once you're fueled, you turn right around, pick up more passengers, and you do it four more times. The most loads I've done in one day is
1: 30. Wow. <laughs> wow. So let's. that brings us into the next question. Uh, some people, they want to stay home and they don't want to be commuting to an airline job. Can you make a living as a skydive pilot? Yeah, I think the uh, the
0: main pilot is Zephyr Hills. He probably makes about 40000 a year. Oh, okay. So you can make a living. So at you it. can make a living at
1: it. Right, right. Um, obviously, not, not like the airlines, but mm-hmm. but still, uh, you're home every night. You're yeah, home there's, there's every a big night. Bonus there. How exactly does somebody as a skydive pilot get paid? Is it paid per hour? It usually, it's paid by flight. Okay. Like at Zephyr
0: Hills, we get so much for each load. Mm-hmm. We have I know a couple of pilots who fly in the New England area, and they get paid per jumper. Oh wow! So if they have a full airplane with plenty of jumpers, they get the max. And if they have an airplane load with just ten jumpers, you know they get you know a little bit less than
1: half. So is there like a day of the week that's better to go work? In other words, there's some people that uh, work part-time as instructors uh, in gliders, and I know they do the weekends, and they mm-hmm. get paid per, mm-hmm. per ride that they do. Mm-hmm. Is there some time where, as a jump pilot, it would be better to work if you wanted to do it part-time? Oh, well, the weekends are always – yeah, that's when a lot
0: of the fun jumpers come out and jump on the weekends. Right. You know, and realize also you'll have days where, oh, what was it? Monday we had, you know, fog and uh, low ceilings, uh, so you're sitting there reading a book, which is what I usually do. And then about 11 o'clock, it kind of cleared. We got a couple of loads up. It kind of clouded over again, you know, broken or overcast at 5,000. Then about 3 o'clock, we broke again. We got two more loads up. So in my whole day, I flew four loads. And you you have a lot of days like that. Yeah, And you'll have days that are totally weathered out. But usually in Florida, you know, Florida's got pretty good weather most of the time. And so usually, uh, you know, you can fly. So typically in the winter— when you have a lot of people down from north and a lot of people over from Europe, 15 loads a day is kind of common. Oh, wow. So that, that's and good. And an interesting thing is we have jump clubs in New England. You know, they close in the winter. So we, so Zephyr Hills has essentially contractor alliances with two of the clubs up there. They bring their twin otters down here. So right now in Zephyr Hills, we have three twin otters, two that are from jump clubs up north. Their pilots came down with them. So they're down here flying full time.
1: So we have three full-time pilots and uh, three otters at Zephyr Hills. So if you're going to be a jump pilot, it sounds like weather is a good, it's a good idea to research weather in the area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you want to do it up north. I know guys that go up north, fly banners, and come down south and mm-hmm. fly banners, that type of thing. Uh, do you think this is a good way to build time? Uh, for I think it's career? a great way to build time.
0: And, you know, the, there's, in this era, there's a lot fewer good ways to build time than there used to be. You know, you used to be able to fly checks and stuff like that, and that's kind of gone away. You know, if you want to build time, you know, the classic way is to flight instruct. But right. But when you come out of that, you know, you have less hands on time. You've been most more watching other people fly and you've been more um, flying single engine airplanes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a. Big difference going to a job interview with an airline when you've got 1,500 hours of Cessna 172 time versus 1,500 hours of twin engine,
1: multi engine turbine time. Multi engine (laughs) turbine time. That's Mm -hmm. that's big, big. Mm -hmm. Uh, How many hours have you seen guys getting a year, you know, as far as flying? I think uh, two guys from
0: Mm -hmm. up north say they've been getting
1: about 900 hours a year. Well, that's pretty respectable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the instructing era, you know, in Florida, you're going to get that kind of hours, maybe even more. So either way, but now you're getting turbine time. which is, Exactly. And, and I'm assuming most are going to turbines. Uh, I don't know. You know, how many – what would the mix be amongst the aircraft within the different skydive community airplanes? You, you know, there's a lot of small jump clubs mm-hmm. and,
0: and centers who really all they have is Cessna's. You know, the ones that have turbines of some kind – you know, probably it's a probably a 40-60 mix, right? You know, in the large jump clubs like Zephyr Hills that have you know twin otters and multiple multiple airplanes and stuff like that. You know, they're around. There's probably ten of them in Florida.
1: Oh, okay, wow.
0: You know, there's, there's Zephyr Hills and oh, Titusville has a turbine.
1: They have they're they're flying a, actually a King Air. Oh, okay. So that wow. Mm. And so you you will you do have an opportunity to get. Uh, time in a piston and in a turbine mm, exactly mm-hmm. so if someone's looking at this as as a job either as a career or as somebody that wants to do this to build time any advice uh general advice as to you know what would you do to try to get yourself into that type of a job
0: mm, get the basic hours mm-hmm. and uh be in the right place at the right time just go to a jump club and then show interest yeah. and you know one of the things that Jump clubs are really leery of, like a lot of them is someone who comes and flies for three or four months, six months, gets basic hours, then wants to leave. Right. You know, and then, then the jump club has to come train, you know, through the expense of training someone else. So they want to, you know, see that you have the interest to, you know, do it for probably at least a year. Right. And uh, there's a few jump clubs that want you to sort of pay for training, you know, and once you have flown for them for a year, then they pay you back. Right. Kind of thing.
1: Interesting. Yeah. The airlines used to do that. Yeah. They used to. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now it's the opposite. Now they're paying you to come work there, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, bonuses to come on because there's such a shortage amongst the regionals Mm -hmm. right now. Um, you know, it, it, this has been great information about the skydiving and how to get a job. And we've only got about five, ten more minutes. But one thing I want to pick your brain about is, is uh, and I didn't realize you were a Czech airman at, at a uh, regional airline, is there's some people listening that that's one of their dreams is to become a Czech airman. And, um, you know, how, how did you get yourself into that position? And is there any advice for people that are looking towards that? Any qualifications that you should have to become a Czech airman? No special qualifications. Because, you know, once you're with an airliner
0: and, and, uh, you know, transition to captain and get basic hours. Essentially, anyone is available. But if they've shown that you have an interest in instructing, you know, as an sim instructor or, or, or something like that, you know, they always need good people to do that. Right. And uh, it's, it, it, again, it becomes a, a matter of an interview process and being able to do a, a good interview and uh, show people that you can be a
1: good check airman. What's it take to be a good check airman? I'm assuming you have to be a good teacher. Uh, A good teacher. Patience. Patience, (laughs) patience, patience. (laughs) Uh, You know, and it's
0: interesting because you you will be qualified in both the left and right seat. And you'll be doing captain upgrades as well as new hire first officers. You know, and in the era with calm Air, when I was a check airman, we had people, a few come in with three, four hundred hours as new hires. Mm -hmm. And... um, even someone with a lot of experience who comes from flight instruction, when you get in the airline environment, and you're in the right seat for the first time, and you start trying to do the job, you can just get task overloaded so quickly. So as a Czech airman, you've got to be able to carry them, you know, and say, okay, on this taxi clearance, you need to say this and this and this, and get them to say it, right. and. and Kind of, kind of do their job and still fly the, you know, make sure the airplane, the flight is, is flown safely.
1: So you basically have to be able to be a signal pilot. In yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And uh, that that can be a little tricky because you're doing everything all, all at the same time. But yeah, it's just like flight instructing; you get used to it, I guess. Uh, except you're going at 500 miles an hour, so that's a little <laughs> bit quicker there. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We've had a, a, a young Czech airman on. Uh, actually, was one of my students, and he's now a Czech airman at an airline, and oh, mm-hmm. he loves it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, his opportunity to continue his instructing. Uh, there's other opportunities besides just being a Czech airman, right, in an airline to teach. You don't have to just oh. become a, a line Czech airman. What Are there some examples you might have? Oh,
0: there's obviously sim instruction Okay, is the biggest one, ground school instruction. And any airline will always have a certain percentage of their line pilots that come back as check airmen, sim instructors, um, ground instructors. And there will always be a mix of people who do that full time who aren't really qualified to fly with the airline versus, you know, line pilots who, who do that too. And you also have that cadre of pilots who become the examiners, you know, the designated examiners for the airline.
1: And, and one of the things that I thought was great is having a pilot that actually flew the airplane to teach us, say, systems mm-hmm. and say, hey, listen, this is the way it really is. A lot, uh, a lot of airlines, they'll take some retired guys and mm-hmm. say, hey, listen, could you teach ground school? And they're teaching you. And they're saying this is what we need to teach you. But here's how it really works, you know. And and that is so awesome because when you get out on the line, you're actually flying the airplane. You remember what that person said, as opposed to somebody who just you know learned it out of a book. Say, mm. uh, not saying that those instructors that learned it out of a book don't know what they're doing. It's it, it, I'm just saying that it's nice to bring in some real world experience. From, from some of these more uh, more senior, or should I say, experienced pilots, that's for sure. Um, you know, it's, you've, you've had this amazing background, and <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you went from, now in the Air Force you didn't actually fly, but you, you had a career there, mm-hmm. um, but you did fly while you were in the Air Force, correct?
0: Yes, I attended the test pilot school as a flight test engineer, and okay. worked in flight test up at Wright Patterson, the test wing there, for about seven years.
1: Okay, and then as a flight test engineer, uh, what did you do as a flight test engineer?
0: <laughs> Mostly program management.
1: Because, you know, uh,
0: after the school, I went back to Wright-Patterson, and they, at that time, had all of the large multi-engine aircraft, like C-130s, kc 135 stuff like that, that were used for flight tests. Mm-hmm. And in that case, a lot of that was you were testing a system on the airplane. Like, one of the projects I was involved with was the MX reentry vehicle radar, where we chopped the back off of a C-141 transport aircraft, put a phased array radar that was a test bed for the MX reentry vehicle, final correction system, and flew that around getting terrain data and performance data. You know, so a lot of that time, you know, a program like that, you'll spend five, six, seven years managing it, getting the aircraft modified, stuff like that, for every three months that you actually do flight test.
1: Now, what kind of background do you need for like a flight test engineer? I mean, do you have to have a mechanical engineering engineer? degree of some kind. Some type of engineering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you, did you have an engineering degree when you got accepted to this? Yeah, I had a master's degree in nuclear engineering. Okay. And so you so you actually knew something about engineering. It's <laughs> a, like, bit a lot tough. of people say, "Hey, you, you know, I want to be a flight test engineer." And we have mm-hmm. had a, had a couple on uh, on our show, and mm-hmm. all of them have uh, electronics engineering, electrical engineering, mm-hmm. uh, aerospace uh, engineering, or exactly. aer- aeronautical engineering, I should mm-hmm. say. And so it's a really important to have that in your background. It's a fascinating job. We've actually had uh, repair design engineers. Mm-hmm. If you get a chance, uh, you know, if you're listening to this now, go back and and do a search on that. That's fascinating because a lot of repairs. Yeah. Uh, are actually, you know, you look at a manual and you, mm-hmm. you do the repair. But there are a lot of repairs where there is no manual. You have to come up with a design for that repair, and that was absolutely fascinating. I I've those. never really even yeah. talked to someone like that. That's yeah, fascinating. There's repair design engineering. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, uh, uh, we had Walter Chan, who was on, uh, who did repair design engineering for uh, uh, for a, a regional jet mm-hmm. company. Okay. And uh, he, it was absolutely fascinating uh, what he did with the aircraft and uh, you know some of the things that they run into. Even, say, a bird strike in an area that normally doesn't get a bird strike, mm-hmm. they have to make sure that this is okay to, to re- design this repair and bring it back. So lots of fun. There's there's so many cool engineering jobs. And and that's the one thing that we like to promote here at Aviation Career is the fact that you can do so many different things. Just mm-hmm. like Dennis. Dennis, you're, you're not just, uh, you did airlines, you did Czech Army, you did skydiving, but but you like general aviation too, right? I love. General aviation. And, and as a matter of fact, we're sitting here uh, at Albert Witted Airport. He's based in. In Winterhaven, and you got here. How did you get here? I flew my uh, Thorpe experimental Thorpe T18 over here. Awesome. <laughs> and, and so this engineering background helped you, but you you also uh, are able to fix that yourself. You have a background in in, in maintenance too, don't you? Yeah, I have an A&P. A&P. So Dennis, you've done everything. Boy, I tell you, it's, it has a, has an incredible uh, background. And uh, you know, if you have a chance to to go out to any of these uh, different chapters, the E.A.A. chapters, there's some wonderful people that can teach a lot. I mean, oh, yes, there is. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like I, I, at the beginning, thought I couldn't build my own airplane, that type of thing. Uh, but you could do it. It's a great way to learn an airplane, even if, uh, and I like to tie this into careers, Is it's, it's a great way to understand an airplane and get into into the, all the different systems. Even if you're not going to build your own, you can actually go to these meetings and learn, learn something. It's called mm-hmm. the Experimental Aircraft Association. They have chapters actually probably near you, uh, wherever you are in the world. And and they're very they're very friendly people. So you know, don't be put off that that you, even though you don't know anything, these people are very welcoming and will will bring you in. I, I think that's probably the experience you've had. Well, oh, just to people with love of aviation, right? You yeah. know, it's. Uh well, Dennis, you, you obviously have a, an incredible love of aviation. We I know you have to get going because you have to fly your airplane back, and I have to fly an airplane to go to work. Every yeah. right? mm-hmm. so often I fly not just for fun, <laughs> but I have to actually make a paycheck here. Um, and but but I really appreciate your coming here. If people have questions, they can send us uh, questions. I'll forward them to you. Okay, great. And, and have them uh, you can answer them directly, or, or we'll get back to you. And that's at aviationcareerspodcast.com com slash contact, and we'll uh, we'll answer those questions. But before we go quickly, uh, we always like to have a scholarship of the week. Uh, this one. One's kind of unique because of the, you know, what we did with the uh, the skydive, and this one's the Ride the Sun Scholarship, and it's for assisting uh, people to extend their horizons, uh, you know, increase your aviation skills. there's a $500 monetary award, uh, help defer the costs. Uh, out of ordinary flight training. In other words, you can do aerobatic formation, mountain flying, soaring, ballooning, etc. So check that out: aviationcareerspodcast.com/scholarships, Aerospace aerospacescholarships.com uh, to check out our scholarships. That's the uh, sponsor of this this program. And, and Dennis, we really do appreciate your coming here, and hope you have a safe flight back. And uh, you know, just if anybody's listening right now and wants to ask them a question, they can they can just send us an email. Uh, remember that you know if you're looking towards uh, your career goal and uh, you want to do something that's going to advance your career quickly and give you some great experience i think skydiving is uh being a skydive pilot excuse me is a great way to do that and remember just do something today like i always say to, to move you for, towards your career goal uh, something small you know maybe uh, now that you've heard this start looking up uh, skydive operations you know like we will put a link to skydive Zephyr Hills. it's a very large organization there and they, they they have a lot of jumpers and if you see dennis say hi i'm sure he'd like to talk to you thanks again dennis Carl, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next episode. Remember, keep looking forward. Take one step today to move you towards your career goal. We'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living
0: your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, Compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.